0: You are tuned to Katie and K. It's Community Access Radio, and it's time for Ask the Vet. We're very excited today to be joined by Doctor Chuck Maker and the one and only Jane Rader, Jane Bacharach. Hello, guys. Hello.
1: Hi. Hey, Gavin. Hey, hey.
2: Chuck. Hey, Jane. Hey, Gavin.
0: Hey, we're so excited uh, that we have you both on the line, and we have an open phone line for callers. This is a call-in show. The number is 970-963-2976, and you can call right now and ask questions for Dr. Chuck Maker. Not only is Jane Rater one of the favorite personalities here on KD&K, but she's also one of the best pet photographers, animal photographers <laughs> I've ever seen.
1: Oh, thank you, Kevin.
0: Can people ask you for tips on photographing their animals? No. (laughs) Okay. Shutting it down right now. Okay. Well, so yeah, let me let me hand it over, guys. I'm here if you need me. Okay. Thank you.
1: All right. So, Chuck. Yes. So since this is ask the vet, I will ask you the first question.
2: Uh oh.
1: How's yeah. So um I think maybe you should talk about uh, what horses need in the spring as far as shots and vaccinations. And my other question is, do horses have to social distance?
2: Well, I heard a thing the other day that um, social distancing, not to make light of it because I think it's very serious, but social right. distancing was uh, you were supposed to be able to put two miniature horses between you. Um <laughs> And so, uh, you know, if you take two minis and you can get them lined up and get them to stay there, that's what we're supposed to do. So, no, but in all seriousness, we've been taking it very seriously. Um, you know, horses can't get this version of the coronavirus. Uh, they have their own coronavirus. But um, veterinary work is essential, you know, keeping animals health, uh, healthy, livestock and pets and, uh, and horses' um, health. And, you know, all of this eventually will, I think, um, rectify itself. The world will heal. Um, But uh, we've been managing a few, more than a few emergencies this week with the uh, lopsided weather with green grass and cold weather fronts. So colics and even some early green grass uh, laminitis and founders so far this week. Um, Things are still happening.
1: Yeah, because uh, for people that that don't know that much about horses, um, the spring green green grass uh, is has tons of sugar, so if horses eat too much of that, you know, on the be- at the beginning of spring, they can colic or founder. Correct?
0: Yeah,
2: it's um, you know, it seems like for a while there uh, we kind of got into spring, and now today you look outside or go up valley and there are on Missouri Heights, there's three inches of snow, but uh, the grass is, the ground temperatures are such that the grass is starting to grow and um, the sun that it gets enables the grass to put a little bit higher fructose sugar in it. Um, And then those cold evening nights stress the grass even a little bit to produce a little even higher sugar content, which is kind of a, if you think of it, it's like herbivores, foragers have been going on on hay all winter and they just love the green grass. So if they get out in the green grass and they get too much of it, it represents a diet change and it can kind of potentiate some GI upsets or colic and or some uh dreaded laminitis or founder in the front feet. So those are gotcha. been two common things this
1: week. Gotcha. Now, um this is a little bit off the subject, but... Uh-oh, this um, is what
2: I was worried about.
1: No, <laughs> not this one. Um, I have two things, actually. The first one is, um, do you wear a mask when you are treating horses? Because obviously their owners are there. Do you right. wear a mask? Well,
2: you know, we've actually implemented in the beginning of all this some um, kind of the APMA came out and really helped the veterinary industry in saying, if you're going to have to work in this environment, here's what you should be doing. And so, um, for the very large part now, our patients are presented to us kind of in a social distant fashion. They're either dropped off or. We arrive at a barn, and the owners either are not there, and we communicate via phone, or um, the owners are there and quite distant. And, yes, we have been wearing some masks. Because
1: uh, be- on that subject, I invented a mask using vet wrap.
2: Oh, no. That sounds oh. a little occlusive. I'm not sure that's a good idea.
1: No, but in all really.
2: seriousness, Becky Becky's mom has been sewing us up some masks. And uh, come to find out that the HEPA filters that are readily available um, at the 0.3 micron size, we've been um, utilizing some things to to stay safe and not not make our clients unsafe and uh, trying to minimize our utilization of um, you know personal protective gear that can be right. used in the medical field.
1: Well, I just wanted to mention my vet wrap idea because it's... I put like a piece of T-shirt over my nose and mouth that I cut off, and then I wrapped that wrap around my head, mm. around that piece, and it worked so well. It's it, quick. It, you can reuse it.
2: If you hired a consultant for that, I think you need to find a new consultant. Oh, you do? Yeah, but in all seriousness, <laughs> they had a study this morning that showed even even the, you know, the, the face mask, the fabric face mask that they're all over the news, um, you know, it, they dramatically reduce the respiratory droplets that are expressed from us just talking. That's why yeah. you're in Carbondale and I'm in Elgebel right now. Um, in, in all seriousness, uh, yeah, those are the kinds of things that we're wearing. Um, not only to keep ourselves safe between us, but keep ourselves and our and our clients and friends and community members right. safe.
1: Gotcha. If anyone has any questions, you can call us at nine six three two nine seven six. The lines are open, and this is Chuck Maker, uh, and you can ask the vet anything you want to. Anything, <laughs> anything, yeah. anything you want to. Oh. And if, no. if we don't get any calls, I have Livestock,
2: sheep and goats, and horses, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm a cat and previous dog owner, so I have a little bit of knowledge there, but. Uh,
1: yeah, but yeah, cows, goats, and horses. Speaking of of goats, oh, um, okay. I've been doing a an experiment all winter um, mm-hmm. because I couldn't. I've been putting my goat poop mixed with shavings uh, mm-hmm. just on the on the grass, fertilizing the grass. Because mm-hmm. and because it was there was too much snow to move my wheelbarrow, mm-hmm. and now that the snow melted, except for today, I mm-hmm. noticed in the area where I put the goat poop, the grass had grown way more than the other grass around it, and it was greener. Hmm.
2: Well, it you doesn't... know, the, the the shavings thing is difficult because, remember, shavings have to decompose a little bit. Um, right. And the composting process requires pretty re- a, a, a normal regulated, if you will, temperature and turning the pile and so forth. So I would be mindful of a lot of people try and make util- utilization of their barn waste um, and shavings are the uh, uh, a problem in that it, they take extra time and can um, kind of acidify the soil uh, to where they're not digested. But but certainly small ruminants and llamas and alpacas, cattle obviously, and horses if treated right uh, can make good compost for the garden.
1: Yeah, well I've been raking it since the snow melted, so mm-hmm. it's. It it really has made a difference.
0: Hey guys, may I ask a question from over here at the Katie and K Studio?
1: No, you may not. Okay, but go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. Um,
0: <laughs> hey, just since we're on the subject of the kind of the stinky subject here for a sec, um, mm-hmm. we have uh, we have two cats at my house, and and they are indoor/outdoor, but but mostly just indoor. They go out a little bit here and there, and we have what we call the catio in the back, um, which which is just we don't really have any any yard. It's just this little porch um but they sometimes yep. one of the boy cat in particular sometimes hops the fence and we learned this time last year that he found uh our neighbor's garden box as a a, a you know favorite location to do his business right right right, right. so yeah. just broadly is that bad for my neighbor to, to grow uh, tomatoes in that box. If my cat has used it as a place to do, his yeah. Business.
2: Those, those. That's going to put a new definition on heirloom tomatoes. <laughs> uh, so, you know, unfortunately, cat and dog. Uh, that's why there are public laws for for pet waste. Um, there is no compostable component of it, and rather there are many um, parasites and bacterial uh, types of pathogens that can be transmitted so much like we see uh, sometimes with like romaine lettuce or things that can be a source of human illness uh, if not washed correctly. I think that would add an, an additional element that I would try and dissuade your kitties from venturing far and wide from their cat box. Thank for your neighbor's health.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, luckily, no tomatoes were grown out of that box last year due to a transition for our neighbors. They were moving at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, but now with our new neighbors there, I, I want to make sure we're not putting them at risk.
1: Well, yeah. it sounds like you would be, unless. Right. Yeah. yeah, I would. I would.
2: I would. You know, uh, Colorado's a fence out state. So, um, but to be neighborly, I would try and encourage my kitty to use its own cat
0: box. That's what the squirt gun is for.
1: Ah, we have one too. Yes, (laughs) that's funny.
2: Thanks
0: for fitting in my question there, generator. I appreciate it.
2: Completely. What? No. Absolutely. No question is uh, inappropriate on the generator, Uh, Chuck Maker, Ask the Vet
0: Show. (laughs) Reminder, phone line's open right now, folks. We have about 10 minutes left in the program. 963-2976. Call up and ask Dr. Chuck Maker and the generator your veterinary questions.
1: Or any kind of question. (laughs) No, Mm. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But but also, um, Chuck, since uh-huh. you are a, a horse and large animal vet, now mm-hmm. is the time to start vaccinating and giving uh, horses their spring shots and vaccination, correct?
2: Well, yeah, we usually start this time of year. I mean, even though snowflakes are moving sideways past the window right now, um, you're trying to increase, you know, your patient's immunity or your her horse's immunity. Um, prior to potential exposure, right? Um, right. Vaccines, uh, you know, like tetanus are appropriate for horses annually um, because clostridial organisms, the causers of tetanus, are everywhere in a horse's environment. Um, and things like you we know, will eventually arrive in Colorado at a late summer West Nile virus season. Um, And there were rabid, uh, there were some rabid cases, rabies cases already uh, over in the front range. Um, And we do see migratory uh, bats in western Colorado um, in the summer. We've had a couple of those over the years, actually, even in Carbondale. So now's the time to stimulate their immunity um, and uh, and provide, you know, a better immune system for what they're exposed to as the year goes along with insect vectors and um, and just the types of things that we see when horses are combined at shows and trail rides and trailheads and so forth.
1: Right. Because uh, those those certain kinds of illnesses like COVID-19, for example, in humans, you know, there are illnesses that horses can transmit transmit from horse to horse. and uh, Right. I mean, right. imagine,
2: I mean, we're kind of living right now in a, in a world, I mean, I'm sure this will open the phone gates perhaps, but, you know, there's no vaccine yet for COVID-19 and it's different from the flu and make the parallel, um, you know, years ago when there were vac- no vaccines or not as good of vaccines for certain diseases in horses, we used to see these diseases much more frequently uh and we see them now largely in populations of horses that are not vaccinated Mm -hmm. so um you know there are core based vaccines where every horse needs this vaccine because these things are in their environment all the time and there are risk-based vaccines where gosh if your horse is living in western colorado it doesn't need to be vaccinated against potomac horse fever which is an east coast disease so We every horse needs a core vaccine, and that is made up of certain things, like I say, that are everywhere in every horse's environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what we practice is kind of a a select approach to try and, and I think everyone does, try and design a horse's program such that it gets vaccinated against things it needs. Mm -hmm. And then if it travels or it's going to go to Virginia or go to Kentucky for summer, it may need something different. So there are. And risk-based vaccines that um, we don't typically use here in the Western Slope because uh, we're gotcha. somewhat isolated. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. What else is important this time of well, year? Well,
2: we usually see, um, you know, as the green grass warms, you know, if we're fortunate in Western Colorado, the parasite, the internal parasite worms, uh, usually die off. If if horses are warmed in the fall, we don't see a lot of parasites hardy enough to live through our winters on the pasture, but with this time of year, uh, we do see that pasture contamination uh, of parasite eggs increase and start to reinvest horses that are out eating that short green grass,
1: Mm particularly this
2: time of year, because there's less grass, and they're eating more of the dirt uh, down at the base of the grass, picking up things maybe that they wouldn't pick up, um, probiotics, if you will. So, you know, this is the time of year typically now through uh, when we see the first hard frost, when we consider horses need some appropriate uh, internal parasite program uh, designed to their environment, whether maybe if a horse is in a pasture with one horse uh, and 50 acres, it's different than a horse that's, say, In a half acre pasture with three other horses. So, again, individual design.
1: That made me think of an idea, uh, of a question, and this is a serious question. (laughs) Uh, um, So, dogs, because I live up in in the Missouri Heights area, (laughs) and, and, you know, dogs tend to eat, love to eat horse manure. And, I have a friend, my neighbor's actually dog, who eats horse manure, manure, throws up, you know, a lot of the time. And I was wondering if, let's say a, a horse owner gives her, her or his horse, you know, some kind of medicine, like warming, you know, a warmer uh-huh. or uh-huh. a vaccination yep. or whatever, and the horse poops out part of the medicine. Can that harm a dog or another kind of animal that eats that?
2: Well, there's certainly evidence to support that some of these daily feed-through dewormers uh, that affect the fly population affect what's in the stool. You know, there's actually active ingredient in the stool. But the um, administration of medications to your horse at the appropriate body weight dosage isn't going to put enough product in the stool to adversely affect Uh, other uh, mammals. Um, That said, however, the biggest, I think, risk where people buy dewormers and things and have problems with dogs is people may inadvertently um, uh, administer their horse's dewormer and then have a partial dose that's in a trash can or the horse spits the dewormer out and the dogs are just willing to eat anything on the ground in the barn. In that situation, that is a potentially dangerous situation that we try to discourage and tell people to make sure they thoroughly um, and appropriately discard the partial unused um, deworming tubes because we have seen some dogs eat that, and that certainly poses a health problem to them.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was curious about that. Good question. Hey, friends. Thank you. We
0: should probably get down to our final question here. We have about two minutes to go.
1: Okay.
2: No callers today. So it's, no, uh, no I'll,
1: callers. I'll, I'll
2: take uh, multiple questions for 500, Jane.
1: <laughs> okay. So my next question is what's better fertilizer, horse poop or, <laughs> or goat poop?
2: <laughs> well, you know, again, I don't know. We always seem to, migrate back. You know, I did a story uh, years ago for the Valley Journal, actually, on the scoop out and poop, and um, it all comes down to the nitrogen and how processed the nitrogen is. Um, I know a lot of people, friends, are planting their gardens. I think uh, I'm trying to find some organic uh, manure or compost from uh, your friends who have either small ruminants or camelids. Um, And or some cows, that's been previously you know previously let sit for several months. That would be, I think, the best soil uh, accoutrement that I might suggest. Yeah. Um,
1: Okay. You put
2: it in too hot, it's gonna it's gonna start stunt your garden a little bit. So do be careful. Gotcha. As we plant peas, carrots, tomatoes, not tomatoes,
1: potatoes. Potatoes. Um, Yeah, potatoes. Okay. Yeah, I think. Seriously, I think people would be interested. Are interested because now's the time to plant. You know, for certain things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's the best? And by the way, that story you did was for me. Oh, was yes, it was (laughs) for the Valley Journal. Oh, I I got that
2: part right
0: at least.
1: Yeah, you did. (laughs) Okay. How are we doing on time?
0: That's going to do it, folks. Thank you so much Thanks. for putting this thank show you. together, Jane and and Dr. Maker. We so appreciate you taking all oh. this time for Katie and Kay's listeners.
1: Thank Stay healthy you, and safe out there. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you all. Stay healthy and thank, safe. Thank you all.